The choice was easy tonight between the Warriors game and Dharma. <laughs> Even though the thought did occur to me. <laughs> You're not supposed to give the... What if people, a lot of the people have it recorded? <laughs> anyway. Somebody checked the score during it. Anyway. I actually, it was a very easy choice for me, even though I'm a, a Warriors fan. And knowing that we would be very small but mighty tonight, those holding down the, the fort of the Dharma. Um, but it was easy because I was, um, I was really appreciating, after just leading another retreat, just the... Um, inevitable flowering of our hearts when we are in a safe, relatively safe place. And I hope all of you feel as, uh, or at least you experience this to some degree as a safe place, uh, a welcome place to, you know, whatever your, your, um, life situation is, whatever you've been through, you're welcome here, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your um, gender, your sexual orientation, whatever it is, you, you're welcome here. And this is a place where, where at least for me, it's, it's a, a kind of refuge where our hearts, the commonality of our hearts can flower and our, our differences can flower. And that's a, I can't think of any place I'd rather be than where, where there's more safety. And part of the, the thought I was having tonight about, I just, I'm a little jet lagged, I have to tell you. I was on the opposite coast till late Sunday night. So right now, it's, I got a little used to that time. So what is it, about midnight almost? No, it's after midnight. Anyway, I, every time I lead a retreat, there, there's just a, an amazing human tendency to move from, from the stresses that we often are just immersed in in our life, you know, just in the, so much emphasis on our differences, uh, so much emphasis on, on making people other, uh, so much emphasis on institutional dividing. It's just everywhere in our lives. And so many people, one person struggling to, to, uh, to, have the same opportunity as other people. And it's just so, in one form or another, whether it's in the workplace or it's in the, in the um, community, there's, there's so much um, power, so many power dynamics, and it, so much of it's based on ignorance. So much, much of it is based on confusion. You know, just think of the level of racism in this world where scientifically there is no basis for race. 
It's absolutely insane. There is nothing, no scientific basis for race. And yet, look what our fertile but deluded minds have done. And all of us are the heirs of the karma of that. So we're all frozen in, in dualism, in, in being divided, just by virtue, by innocently, by virtue of, of being conditioned by greed, hatred, or ignorance. We divide. And so we come on retreat, and I don't know about you, and I often come on retreat, I would be, I wouldn't even know it, that I was frozen. But I would feel a lot more separate, isolated, heart tight. And it's so interesting to watch on day two, as we begin to thaw, as people begin to thaw, no matter who you are, there's a wave where you hate everyone, where everyone is irritating and everything is irritating. You would not believe, not on this retreat, I, don't, I didn't check in with the kitchen, but at Spirit Rock, it's the trajectory you know, of purity and purification, the cycles that one goes as one recovers, is you, you recover through the the, the, uh, the different layers of calcification of the heart. And as your heart opens, you want, uh, at times you're so uh, sensitive that everything is irritating. And, and it usually, usually goes in a certain cycle where one day everything that the cooks make tastes like it's perfect. <laughs> like it was, it's divine. It's it's mana, it's ambrosia. The next day, something's wrong with the food. And the, the, the people will actually, over the years I've seen hate mail sent to the cooks who are just generously offering their, it's like on Tuesday night, I'm cooking up the best meal that I can cook and people are coming and saying, you cook like crap. So this is one of the cycles, and then the heart opens, and then pretty soon you want to give everything to everyone on the retreat, and the flow of generosity. But more importantly, people's faces, we call it the Vipassana facelift, where there's this, this very deep contraction, and, and all of a sudden the eyes open, and the hearts get so sweet and tender. And you see that the our universal nature intrinsically when we, are, when we have safe conditions, when there is a refuge, is our heart's flower. And we, we recover this, this Buddha nature, this, this heart nature that is both clear and intelligent and kind. And we all have this capacity. And yet it is, unfortunately, it is a, it's a road less traveled. We don't, it's not something, um, it's more popular than ever, but still, it's a, still against the stream of, of the momentum of, of our world. It's really all about dividing and measuring and getting ahead, all about the trance of time. So I'm, I'm always so pleased to step off of the wheel of, of becoming, of obsessing, 
about the next thing. So relieved. And then to do that with other people. I don't care. I've been doing this, as Dave was saying, 32 years every Tuesday. And I don't get tired of it. Because it, re it puts me back in touch with a, an exhaustible, inexhaustible capacity that, that I have and you have to be um, our, our most, um, you could say, elevate, not elevated, our natural self. Which is, I think we're actually sweet. <laughs> So to me, after a sitting, I, I feel it tonight because I, I was a little off when I came in tonight, and a little emotionally tweaked, and, and then just sitting and marinating in simple, kind attention. And I, I, I let my body kind of bathe in kindness tonight. I don't know. It, it, we, we can do all kinds of things. I, I do see the, the mindful attention as being uh, synonymous with kindness. You bring a kind attention to your, to your body, and to your moods, to the thoughts, the images, everything welcome, everything received instead of, I don't like this and I don't like that. And I've got to make this happen. I've got to like make that happen. That really isn't what meditation is about. It's, it's about learning how to meet our life, which has so many difficulties in it, without, as, without adding contentiousness to it, without adding complications to it. Keep it simple. It's hard enough as it is. And then to, to then bear witness to the fact that even the difficulties, they ebb and they flow, depending on how you meet them, what you do with them. And it's easy to talk about, and then there's other ones things that are difficulties that are a little more entrenched and our reactions to them are a little more entrenched. So it, there, it requires a certain kind of patience and persistence and especially mercy and kindness But how conditioned we are by this world and all its systemic issues. Because I don't think there's any issues that any of us have that are not systemic, that are not really a part of our community that are just ourselves. Nobody. I know that my ill will is very connected to my beliefs and opinions, political, religious, and where did I get those? Do you think I made those up? We are all the heirs of non-personal karma. You know, I often read the teachings of Maladoma Somme, you know, the African, you know, where he, he talks about the, his village and when, when, somebody, uh, when somebody really acts out, the whole village gathers around because they know that that person's expressing something that the whole village needs to, it needs to hear. But unfortunately, we're so, we are so individualistic and so um, so cut off from each other as a kind of cultural systemic isolation that we don't 
We take blame for our own misery instead of recognizing that it's a community thing. We should be out combing the streets to see you know, what we need to do to, to, uh, to look after the misery of everybody. Uh, you walk in here every Tuesday and we've got, the tent, we've got our little tent city outside. And somehow, how, how any of us can pass that by and, and see that anything normal about that. Or as, you know, I've been speaking in the last couple of weeks about that police murder of Jordan Edwards. That's almost normal. And so we... And it's partly because we're so isolated. We don't know our neighbors. So we can treat them poorly. So anyway, it's a beautiful thing to watch that and experience that melt away into the openness of our, of our awareness. And being, it's not just secluding our mind in meditation. Paradoxically, it actually opens our our consciousness to each other. So that's not, it's, it's a two-way street when you practice. I have yet to see somebody, I've yet to see anybody in my life who did a lot of practice who didn't become more caring about other people. <laughs> it seems like such a lonely, alone thing, and there's an aloneness to it, but it's also uh, just taps into that understanding in us that we don't exist apart from each other and then we're here together. So let's see, where was I going with that? So when we come together like this, I um, the other thing I was thinking about tonight is, is the poem from Hafez, the poem called Cast All Your Votes for Dancing. He says, I know the voice of depression uh, still calls to you, still sends its invitation. But you are with the friend now. And I always take the friend to be, you are are with that capacity in you to awaken. You're with awareness now. And actually I have it right here. I know that the voice of depression still calls to you. I know that those habits that can ruin your life still send their invitations. But you are with the friend now, and you look so much stronger. You can stay that way and even bloom. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and your work and music and from your companion's beautiful laughter. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from the sacred hands and glance of your beloved and my dear from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. And so we, we come into our bodies here when we awaken our awareness. We remember that we're aware. We're not just sleepwalking. And even after 45 minutes, you look so much stronger. You can stay that way and even bloom, he says. 
Because what you find here in real time, this is what I was thinking about, is so utterly different than the version of yourself that's playing through your mind maniacally when you're you're absent-minded. We do not find in real time the evidence for the imagined version of ourselves that feels, as one of my colleagues was saying, most of the composite voice in our mind is, you suck. <laughs> and then we, and many of the, the, the rivulets that flow from that basic view extend to making a case for the prosecution. Some judgment of how high, how low, and we fall into constant comparisons. Again, the comparing mind, we call it mana or conceit in the Buddha's teaching, putting yourself above, below, or equal. That describes somebody who doesn't even exist. It's an imaginary, measurable version of you. And what's missed in that is, uh, is the, the full, living, unique expression of life that's sitting right here. It's not so measurable. So I know what goes through our mind is connected to everything that's happened to us in our lives. And I've said it many times here on Tuesday that I, I, I love everyone's, I would love to be able to know everyone's personal story. My personal stories and all the beginningless causes that brought us to this moment are rich and beautiful and interesting and just are constant reminders of the of how of the 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 non-separateness of us that, that we exist based on so many things that have happened waves of immigration and waves of oppression and waves of of isolation and community and everything has formed in us and we each have a personal story that's very cool and then we have that's it's very layered and that part of our story is it describes in a sense how we came to be here and that's kind of cool but a lot of our personal story is a is a a story of actually being um, that's gotten far away from that from that family of origin community of origin culture of origin it's gotten really far away and it's gotten absorbed in a kind of personal version of ourselves that like I said we think sucks and there's not anything that sucks about us. That's a distorted perception. It describes somebody who doesn't exist. And to the degree that we start living in that version, our whole life devolves into a, um, into a, um, a sense of isolation and distortion. 
And so when you begin to, what's the words he uses? To attune again to the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Come back to yourself. As Derek Walcott says, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart, just conscious of yourself here and now. There's a, uh, there's a, a homecoming. Often through a heartache, a lot of sadness comes when you first come home to yourself. It's amazing on retreat, almost the first day, but people, start, people feel really, as they settle into their, after they've, after they've gotten used to sitting a little bit, they, they start to, their heart starts to open, feel kind of sad and say, you know, where have I been? I, I miss myself. But I'm home now, but I'm so sad that I was away for so long. And, but then we start to see the difference over time as, our, as, we, as we're with the friend of, of attention and it builds up. Our mind gets brighter and brighter and then we can begin to, not just begin, but continue. Begin and continue to notice those habits that can ruin your life, those voices in our mind that he speaks of. And instead of relating to the world from that point of view of that, that um, sucking version of ourselves, then we can start to relate to it as just another part of the thought forms that, that are common to our culture of excessive idealism, a culture of comparison. And we can see that idea of me that floats through my mind can never capture the richness in, of the, my experience of myself in this immediate present. Can't do it. I am indescribable. And I'm also, I feel a little bit of delight to be able to see that a thought of myself is not myself. It's a thought. So that's where, our, you know, when I ever think about this, this thought of myself as not myself, I always think of one of my teachers, Anagarka Munindra, who said, a thought of your mother is not your mother. I always found that very useful, too. But I also think of the James J. Audubon passage that's, that, I lo- that just is so pithy in a way. He says, if there's a difference between the bird and what the field guide book says, believe the bird. Now that's... We've been going to the field guide book for our information for too long and we miss the richness. Because I, I, as I often do, I, I, I never can find the... the same evidence in real time for I suck. Where is suck right now? I mean, you may be thinking I suck. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a thought. 
And it's so amazing that we can, that, that reminds me, we can just be so affected by other people's thoughts of, our, of us. Give that power and then lose confidence in, I'm not reducible to, to other people's judgments. And now I understand the, the, the life-saving mantra of the, the ABC News she was back in, I'm dating myself, but back in the 80s, the ABC News doctor, Nancy Snyderman, I know she's still on TV, but she wrote a book about her life and struggling as a woman to, to in this um, sexist, you know, patriarchal world, and she said, what got me through was a mantra, other people's opinions of me are none of my business. She would repeat it over and over and over again. And that helped her be with the friend, aware of, the, of her basic, as Trungpa Rinpoche called it, basic goodness. Not, a, not the measured kind of goodness that's good versus bad, but just fundamental sense of being. As Galway Cannell said in his poem called St. Francis in the Sow, the bud stands for all things, even those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness to put a hand on its brow of, of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. So part of our meditation practice, at least in my mind, is to, on one hand, reteach ourselves our loveliness, to reclaim that heritage of, of richness, as Thich Nhat Hanh, you, the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living. Stop being the destitute child. So there's that level of it. But then it's to see that that version of you that plays through your mind, that is that is attempting to define you, that's really a view about you. It's a view called Sakaya Ditti. That's what the Buddha called it, Sakaya Ditti, self-view. That the view of yourself and attempting to find that flowering by securing a view that's, that is because it's a view, it's not possible to secure it. It's not possible to get a, a version of yourself, a view of yourself that is always just the way you want it to be. Have you noticed, have any of you noticed that the view of yourself changes according to who you're with? I was telling the, the group on the retreat that I just led so I, I was. I had just come from. I had just come from 
home, of course. And so there I am sitting in, you know, there's 100 people on the retreat, which is, that's the full, you know, 95 people at, at um, Insight Meditation Society. And I said, okay, here I am, and I can feel a little bit on Tuesday night. I'm the, I'm the guru. You know, I'm the, I'm the teacher, so that the guru just means teacher. It doesn't mean elevated. But I feel seen in that and, and uh, appreciated. And so there's a, it's easy to, to start to think that's, what I, that's who I am. So I form a little identity view. I'm the guru. I'm the teacher. And I start to think well of myself. But then I go home. <laughs> I go home on a Tuesday night. I think it was even last, no, it was a couple Tuesdays ago. I went home on Tuesday night feeling so happy to have been here and shared the Dharma and that, that, that it was, you know, that the, feels full and all. It's always a feast of some sort. But then I, I wake up, I go downstairs to have breakfast and my, my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter Molly, walks down the stairs, completely ignores me, and I said, hey, Mal, said, you know, it's nice if you, if you say good morning and look, and look in my eyes or look, look people in the eyes. She says, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> she says, that's, that's for old people. <laughs> old people do that. So I go from somebody to nobody. You know, just that quick. And we, this is our view, our version of ourself is, it's just blows by the wind of praise or blame, of gain, of loss, of fame, of shame, you know, the whole thing. And so clearly an identity that's tethered to, to uh, ideas about who I am, it's not very secure. And then Oh, I, my, I mentioned last week my friend Hanuman who's waiting for word of whether his, he has prostate cancer, whether it's metastasized. I mean, it's horrific in a way. But it's such a reminder, such a heavenly messenger that these bodies, that, that place, not the the body, but the picture of our body, the sense of the sense of I am my body, that identity with our body, also a very unsafe place to hook our identity. And interesting, just in general in our life, if we think of ourselves as our body, that's not our body. That's a picture. And in that, we often lose the, the felt experience of you know, being right here. It's not really a body, it's sensation. It, it's just, there's an immediacy. It's easy to miss. While we're thinking about our body and, and worrying about it aging and then beautifying it and doing everything we do to try to keep it young. It's 
because of that identity. So it makes us really insecure. So our thoughts make us insecure. Our bodies make us insecure. Our, our identities unsecurable. And of course, we get very identified with our moods. And our moods are completely insecure. They're coming and going all the time. So this is all a, a long way of saying something I say a lot here is we are basically, once we take birth as an identity in any kind of view about ourselves, we are insecure. We're fragile. And instead of just feeling that fragility and loving ourselves up for the impossibility of having an identity that's secure, impossible. Yet identity is inherent in anybody who has individuality. There's some version of ourselves that plays through our mind. But if you make that version of yourself that plays through your mind, that's tethered to your body and your moods and your thoughts and, and whoever you're with or whatever conditions you're in, you will, you'll have a lot more suffering, a lot more things that are hard to bear. And so instead of building that monument to the imagined version of ourselves, we bring loving kindness to our vulnerability. We bring we try to meet ourselves with kindness instead of working so hard to be the, the greatest whatever in the world. Kindness. And, and relate to our identity instead of from it. That's the meditator's shift. As Ashvagosa said, to commit to a life of truth, not a life of self. Life seeing what, seeing the distortion, the way our version of ourself that plays through our mind distorts our experience of reality. And so then relating to that and at the same time coming back to that, to that Buddha nature, to that sense of, of that in us which is never, ever been altered, even by a hair. That, you could call it that empty essence. Just pure awareness. Mahasati. Sati is great mindfulness. And And get to know that place in us that's always already okay, free. That it's free when we're feeling happy, free when we're feeling sad. Free when we're winning, free when we're losing. Easy to talk about. It's another thing to recognize and get to know. But yet it's, we're connecting with it every moment that we're attending with awareness to what's happening, that we know we're aware, clearly comprehending just even the fact that we're here in the room together.
doesn't have to be so exotic. Wow. That's why for me it's just enough to be here, better than any basketball game. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making any sense tonight, but that's, that's, um, that's what I want to talk about. So here's what... Um, the anonymous little poem, everybody wants to be somebody. Nobody wants to be nobody. But if that somebody could just be nobody, that nobody would really be somebody. <laughs> so let's just be nobody ourselves and let our, let the, our good hearts, the kindness flow from that openness. It doesn't flow so well from I suck. It flows beautifully from openness. So to whatever openness you can muster right now, just put the whole world in your heart, all beings in all condition, including yourself, and share the whatever blessings you feel from being simply present from being here and share the blessings with a, a deep wish that all beings can be happy. Not just a good mood, but the happiness of peace, of not straining, striving, happiness that comes from non-harming, from generosity, from patience, from clarity, from compassion, from equanimity, the deep wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering that come from our distortions, our distractions, from our non-virtue when we somehow forget and act unwisely. So may all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize the inexhaustible happiness, the natural happiness of being conscious and never be apart from that. And may all beings grow in equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity, to sit in the middle of life with courage and protect those who need to be protected. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. We are one being. May all beings know their true nature. May all beings be liberated.
Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your support. Thanks for supporting each other and hope to see you next Tuesday and a little less jet lagged and and go warriors. <laughs> thanks for coming on the basketball night. <laughs>